electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, the Democratic National Convention begins today, 77 days before an unusual presidential election. Writer and fellow podcaster Arthur Brooks has hope for a politically divided nation. It's actually these crucibles that make Americans wake up and say, what is the country that we want to be? And it is not a country where we hate our neighbor because he votes Republican or because she votes Democrat. The pandemic has ground most travelers for the foreseeable future, and airlines are still stuck on the tarmac. Analyst Seth Kaplan. There was a period a couple months ago where demand seemed to be rebounding rather quickly, and where where there was this possibility, at least, that, you know, maybe things wouldn't be so bad. I I mean, once all the, once the new wave of COVID started, that very clearly was out of the picture. And coronavirus shining a light on inequality. Former Baltimore Mayor Stephanie Rawlings-Blake. I think this pandemic has laid bare what many in the health circles and government circles have known, that there's gross disparities in health. It's Monday, August 17th, in this very bizarre, very long 2020. It's going to get better. It absolutely is going to get better. 2021 is going to get better. You don't know that. Squawk Pod begins right now. And good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Scott Wapner along with Joe Kernan. Becky and Andrew are off this morning. Joe, it's good to see you and be with you. Really? The judge, dude, how are you? Hey, That's right. What, what, are you set? What have you got? Uh, do you have like chambers there or uh, like as a bailiff around? Or I mean, what are you equipped to do if, if push comes to shove today? You got a jury room. You got uh, I mean, what, what do you yeah. have at home? I've got some things here. What do you got? <laughs> Uh, I have Rusty the bailiff is in the wings. Um, Doug Llewellyn is standing to the side, ready to report on what we report on. So do we, so still, we're, we still do we're, this we're ready to go. We still do the judge thing, don't we? Your name is Wapner. Dun, dun, dun. Your name is Wapner, right? You know we what? Still do, we, huh? Am I the only one? I, I filled in. I filled in recently for a full week and they didn't play the theme music a single time. I was very disappointed. Oh, we don't do that now, anymore. Hopefully they can make up we for don't. it today. First up on today's podcast, 2020's election is drawing closer and stranger by the day. Washington, D.C.'s political football of the week, the U.S. Postal Service. And while neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night can slow our mail carriers, a pandemic and more just might. Here's Scott Wapner. Elon Moy joins us on the brewing battle between Democrats and President Trump over the over the Postal Service and mail-in ballots. Elon, good morning to you. Well, good morning, Scott. The Postal Service has become the center of controversy in Washington because of the election. But corporate America is worried, too, because the U.S. mail is so important to the economy. That much became clear during the pandemic when we saw the volume of shipping and packages at USPS jumping 53.6 percent during its third quarter from a year ago as we all began buying everything online. But marketing mail was down 37.2 percent and first class mail fell 6.4 percent sending the post office into an even deeper financial hole. Now, major companies, Amazon, eBay, 
Etsy and CVS, they're all part of a coalition of businesses calling on Congress to authorize $25 billion in emergency funding to help stabilize the post office. Now, the cuts in service are already threatening America's smallest businesses. 70% of micro-businesses, those with 10 employees or less, say that they use the post office, according to an internal survey, and they spend an average of $359 a month on shipping. Now, just last week, the post office says that it's going to have to hike the prices of commercial packages ahead of the holiday shipping season. Those increases will be between 5 and 6% to as much as 13%. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi saying she's going to call lawmakers back into session at the end of this week to vote on a bill that would force the Postal Service to maintain its level of operations from back in January. But that bill doesn't say anything to uh, stop these price increases or to increase funding for the Postal Service. Guys, back over to you. I don't know what to do there. Just just in general over the years, Ilan, about, uh, you know, about the post. It, it, you, you can't I guess you can't price it where. Uh, like uh, where the free market would price it, you just can't. So it's always got to be subsidized. Just this nagging problem year after year that uh, that just needs some some government assistance. Um, and I don't think it's going to get any easier, obviously, with uh, all the competition and everything else. But um, I don't know. Do you have this? Do you have a solution for me? Long-term? I don't have a solution for you, Joe. But I will say I will say the solution that the post office has asked for is even more money. I mean, the $25 billion that Democrats put into their HEROES Act is still not as much money as the post office itself says that it will need. They've asked for $25 billion in emergency funding, $25 billion in loans, and another $25 billion to help modernize operations. So, as you said, this is a long-term systemic problem that has become exacerbated by the pandemic. You know, what do you do to just stabilize the current situation? That is what lawmakers are facing right now. Right. All right. Mom, thank you. Uh, I appreciate it. I, I will probably be talking. It's not going to be over. We'll be talking about this uh, next year, I'm sure. In other election news, the Democratic National Convention kicks off tonight with Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders and former First Lady Michelle Obama among those who will speak virtually. The first Democratic National Convention was in 1832, and for the first time in the nearly 200 years since then, the party's nominees for president and vice president won't be greeted by crowds of supporters. They won't even be with each other. Joe Biden plans to make his acceptance speech later this week from his home in Delaware, his home base for the majority of his presidential campaign. But there's a slew of high-profile Democrats slated to speak also from their living rooms and home offices. The distanced campaigns haven't cooled any of the political heat between parties. In fact, it seems almost more dramatic in this election year so reliant on technology and social media. Today on Squawk Box, Joe Kernan spoke to Arthur Brooks about the animosity and the state of American politics. Brooks is president emeritus of public policy think tank AEI and professor at Harvard's Kennedy School. He's also a contributor for The Atlantic and a fellow podcaster. Check out The Art of Happiness with Arthur Brooks. Speaking of happiness, here's Joe Kernan. I'm happy when you're on, Arthur. Thanks for being with us uh, this morning. It's great to be with you. I'm always happy to be with you, Joe. It's great. I I actually can't see you right now, but uh, I can imagine you, and that makes me happy. That, that's that's awesome. They, I'm just let's start with just the, the 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 way this is going to be presented virtually. It's right. What what is that? How is that different in, in previous conventions? It's it's not going to be quite as easy to get all fired up, is it? Uh, watching these yeah. things virtually, it's almost like the uh, it's almost like the sporting events. They pipe in 
You know, when someone hits a home run, they pipe in some music. I'm like, wow, that's, this is great. But maybe they need to pipe something in. Maybe a laugh track yeah, in this case. Right. No, 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 no. I didn't yeah. mean it. Go ahead. You know, it's, a, it's, it's kind of like the way that I'm doing my lectures at Harvard. I mean, it's, uh, I'm just hoping for the best in a way. And it's very hard to co-create the, the atmosphere when there's no audience out there. So the result is we're all kind of getting used to this in one way. I mean, what's it like doing the show when you actually don't have the community of people all around you? And I mean, it's very different, isn't it? It's become a very different discipline, hasn't it? Yes. It, it, the, let me, let's get to the, the, the actual substance of what's happening. So do you, do you put Bernie on first to get him out of the way? This isn't really what we want to do. Relax. We're not going here. Uh, or do you put him on first because this is the heart and soul of the Democratic Party at this point? What's going on there? Well, they put him on first because a lot of people wanted him to be the Democratic nominee, and they want to keep those people around. They don't want those people all to split, and so they want to make sure that they understand that Bernie Sanders has a real voice in this deal, and he's important enough that he's going to kick the whole thing off with a fire and brimstone speech about fairness and about the future of America and capitalism and all the stuff you and I know and love. I mean... Arthur, we know we saw what happened. We're not stupid. I mean, he he when it looked like he was going to be the nominee, Joe Biden was was left for for, you know, he was he was nowhere until that that comeback that he had. And the reason was people looked and said, oh, my God, we might run Bernie Sanders. So why, why even pretend to embrace that, that, that uh, you know, that extreme ideology? Well, they're basically trying to have their cake and eat it, too. And this is a very typical thing in politics. Republicans would do the same thing. But the Democrats looked back and they saw two examples. They saw Jeremy Corbyn take over the Labor Party in the U.K. with disastrous long-term political results. And they saw Donald Trump take over the Republican Party four years earlier with the results that they didn't like either. So the result was they said, well, let's try to continue to be mainstream, but let's keep trying to keep the people who really like Bernie Sanders around. And, and, and this is their attempt to do it. The real the only empirical question is going to be, does it work? And who knows? Well, it's going as the week goes on. I, I'm just interested in how each speaker threads that needle between, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to bring this economy back and, and wanting you know, to be comp- compassionate, as you know, you always hear from, uh, you know, that we're going to have a lot more, uh, you know, a lot more government. Uh, not, I, I'm hesitant. To, I don't know which party is which in terms of government spending anymore. I was going to say a lot yeah, more government spending, but a lot more social spending, a lot yeah. more social spending in, in the case of, of Democrats. I'm not sure that it, it, it always gets to where it's intended. But what are we going to see? Are we going to see a fiscally responsible uh, Democratic Party? Or are we going to be it's going to be just a huge giveaway for for college and, you know, health care for all. What, how are they going to walk that line? Well, tons of promises, tons of I mean, the time, can, nobody gets up in the convention and says, I'm not just going to do stuff. I'm going to sit here. No, I mean, no, they, they, they get up and they make all kinds of crazy promises at, at conventions. That's what conventions are all about. That's the festive atmosphere. But I, basically, they're going to start off. They're going to talk about how if you if you elect Joe Biden president of the United States, that COVID is going to become manageable and managed and labor markets are going to come back and a thousand flowers are going to bloom. Just elect this guy and the COVID problem is going to recede dramatically because it will be managed better. They're going to go back to the old fairness. You know, it, the billionaires and millionaires have to pay their fair share. They're going to go back to that. We heard a lot about of that during the Obama administration. That's going to come back in a big way. And there's just going to be a million promises for the expansion of, of uh 
of the welfare state, of, of social welfare benefits in, in America today. And people are just going to have to decide, you know, are these things believable? Are they, you know, are they affordable? And is this the country that we actually want? And, uh, and that's going to be the big question. We had a rough three days in New York City again in, in terms of, of yeah. gun violence and other things. I, I, how do they, I mean, they, they can, I guess, fall back on, on, on uh, gun legislation in the, in the midst of a lot of what we're seeing in terms of rising crime rates for whatever you want to attribute it to. But how do they approach the whole law and order police issue that, uh, you know, that has been, I mean, I don't, I don't see it on all the networks that frequently, but, but how do you approach that with what we're seeing in some of the major cities every, every night? Well, they don't talk about the violence per se unless it actually involves the correct narrative. In politics today, in a populist environment on right and left, you just basically you cherry pick the narrative that you want as opposed to really reporting the news as it is, which is the big problem. Look, I mean, both parties are in this crisis right now, Joe, and you and I both know this. And the only time we're actually going to get back fair and square to what the country needs is when we get back to this ethos of American self-improvement when it's basically personal entrepreneurship, it's opportunity, personal responsibility, where the capitalist system works for everybody because we're working for ourselves. And, you know, neither party's talking about this. We've got populism on the right and populism on the left. And they're going to bat this back and forth. And when finally these parties actually start to compete to actually make a better environment so that every single person watching, rich, middle class, and poor, can lift themselves back up, that's going to be the aspirational, inspiring America that people want to get behind. But right now, we're just not we're not there. And so we're going to have sort of the giveaway contest at these and these political conventions. And it's not going to inspire me too much. I don't know about you. No, I don't know. I don't know where we are. I look around sometimes and I'm wondering, um, Arthur, I'm, I'm trying to love everyone. That, that's your thing. What is your thing again? Love yeah. every. Uh, how does that work? Well, well what you is know, it? I, I took from Matthew five forty four. Love your enemies. This, I mean, and again, and again, Joe. I mean, here's this is very practical. <laughs> it's a very mm. practical message. You, nobody has ever been insulted into agreement, and that's the reason that we're in such yeah. a bad political place right now. Because basically, it's like insult the other guys when they're not there. Right. Make sure that you're insulting them, not in their presence, so you can lock down all the people through fear and hatred on your own side. And it's a, it's a terrible, that's the reason that this idea of personal empowerment and the startup life is the only message in American politics that can endure. Yeah. Been a rough year. I mean, it has been a rough year, but, but you know what, Joe, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. It absolutely is going to get better. You 2021 is going to get better. You don't know that. that, that I that, do know that, that. That light at the end of the tunnel, that light at the end of the tunnel might be up to a huge train headed right uh, for us. Yeah, but, you know, historically speaking, it's actually these crucibles that make Americans wake up and say, what is the country that we want to be? And it is not a country where we hate our neighbor because he votes Republican or because she votes Democrat. That's not the country that people, 94% of Americans hate how divided we become. And we're going to turn on the populist politicians that are telling us to hate our neighbors. And we're actually going to go toward a political movement that lifts people up. By the way, that's the reason that people like to watch this show is because it's about an entrepreneurial America that has a future. That's why this is a really, fundamentally, that's why this is an inspirational show to watch. This is about the startup life in a startup country. That I can that I can definitely get on board with that. Uh, are there, I'm, you know, I just bare my soul a lot of times on the show. It is very difficult, but I'm I'm optimistic for the long term too. Thank You're a good you, man, uh, Joe. Arthur, thanks, Brooks. man. Did you want to Which talk? Which is to another Arthur inspirational Scott? show, right? Yeah. Well, you just you were just listening and taking it all in with Arthur, right? I was. 
I was. I was wondering how like, long they were. It, I was wondering how long it was going to be before they turned that sound around at the end there about about why Squawk was such a great program. You need to you know, you need to run that again coming in from a from a break. It, it is inspirational, aspirational. Isn't that what we try and do around here, Joe? Watch when we go to break right now. I think it's ready. I think they just told me I think it's ready when we no, not <laughs> quite. But that. Next, airlines prepare for more slow months ahead as demand lags due to coronavirus concerns. Industry-wide, domestic seats for September looking to be about 52% of what they were a year earlier. Squawk Pod is back after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan, uh, along with, uh, with Scott Wapner. Andrew and Becky are off today. Was that too much when I sent to you? You said, let's rock. And I said, not since Lennon and McCartney. Was there going to be such a show? Did you, you know, I, I, I thought maybe if we're going to rock, maybe it should have been Paige uh, and Plant might have been. What, 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 did, did, do, you, do you remember them or is that before your time? No, I, I remember them. Um, it's a high bar. I mean, either way, right? You know, it, it's better than if you said like Bert and Ernie. That would that would have that would have stunk. But I'll go with either <laughs> one of the uh, <laughs> examples that you had. I'm fine with well, that. Well, you you mentioned elevator, and you mentioned elevator. I even mentioned Tyler, uh, Stephen Tyler, and, and Joe. Pe- we'll go we'll go with any of those. I think they're all good. Yeah. Hall and Oates. Right. Uh, whatever. Those anyway, uh, anyway, yeah. you. Also- I like Hall and Oates. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the airlines uh, for a moment. The airline industry about to enter a critical period. Carriers are locking in their September schedules now, and they're expecting a pullback in demand. Our Phil LeBeau joins us now with more on that front. Morning, Phil. Good morning, Scott. Right now we're in the period where you're going to see September schedules locked in, and then the early plans for October are starting to be formulated by the airline. American out on Saturday night with the formal schedule for September, and they are trimming it. No surprise here. You see fewer people flying in September than in August. They're going to be down 59% compared to September of last year, pulling back 11% compared to the same schedule they were flying in August. International remains dead in the water, down 77% versus a year ago. And here's the issue. We have seen passenger levels plateau between 70 and 75% lower compared to the same time last year. If you look at this chart, it's very clear that you are not seeing the uptick that the airline industry was expecting, that members of Congress were expecting. And that's why when you take a look at the airline stocks, the big focus right now is whether or not there is a second CARES Act that is passed because the current guarantees for jobs, they end on September 30th. Now, if there's another CARES Act, another $25 billion that is allocated to lock those jobs in place through the end of March, then it's a different story. But as of right now, guys, the focus for the airlines is preparing for layoffs, which will happen on October 1st. They've already sent out the warn notices to most of the union members or or all the union members who may be affected. They know what they're going to have to do come October 1st. The question is whether or not that is averted with another $25 billion if they ever do a stimulus deal, when that happens. Yeah. If if one doesn't happen, Phil, how, how much more do you think would service drop off? 
Oh, you'll see a pullback, especially in smaller cities. Americans already laying in plans uh, for cutting service to about 24, 25 small to medium-sized markets. So this is the interesting thing here, Scott. You know how members of Congress feel. They want air service to their district. Doesn't matter how small it is. If it's air service that has been there, they want to keep it there. That's the incentive for people in Congress to say, you know what? Let's see if we can come up $25 billion because it's not just guaranteeing the jobs for all the airline employees. It also would lock in service that otherwise the airlines would say, get rid of it. And Americans not alone, by the way. The, the other airlines are saying, we're not making money flying some of these smaller routes. We'll pull back if we don't have that job guarantee money. Yeah, yeah. Not surprised to hear that. Phil, thank you. That's our Phil LeBeau. And for more on the state of the airlines, as we do enter these critical few weeks, Seth Kaplan is principal at Kaplan Research. Uh, Seth, good morning. Uh, how bad do you think it's going to get? Well, uh, we can look in that crystal that Phil was describing. Industry-wide, uh, domestic seats for September looking to be about... Uh, 52% of what they were a year earlier, that according to Sirium schedule data. The big news there is that for several months, that had been increasing. You know, each month was a little better as a percentage of the equivalent month a year later, ever since the, the low point back in May. And this finally is a reversal in that trend. Now, look, airlines could get lucky just because they schedule less doesn't mean that demand doesn't come back at least a little bit. Uh, but clearly, they're not feeling uh, too bullish. In terms of the stimulus, potential second CARES Act, uh, uh, an interesting thing, too, to consider is that in some ways, it's actually a bigger deal for the stronger airlines. You would think that the weakest airlines of all would be counting the most on the $25 billion. But, you know, in some ways, of course, that's not $25 billion net for the airlines. That's partly just kind of a pass through to their uh, employees. And some airlines have said, look, we're just going to lay off a lot of people. As you have an airline like Southwest, to some degrees Delta, trying everything they can do to keep people employed. And, and that means keeping people employed unproductively after October 1st. The demand doesn't uh, come back. So, so that money, to an extent, would just go into their pockets more since they've said they're going to keep some, at least uh, uh, in Southwest case, people on the payroll through the end of the year. Yeah. I mean, the bottom line is you're, you're not going to get any meaningful return to, to service uh, until there's a vaccine, right? I mean, and, and especially not in, why would you get it in September? This can't be surprising news to anybody. You've got people going back to school and then anemic, at best, business travel expectations. Exactly. It's a weak month uh, to begin with. And that's why all you can really look at is, is the comps, right? I mean, September is always worse than August. Uh, but the question is, is September worse than September 2019? And right now, uh, you know, obviously it's going to be worse, but you want to see that sequential improvement month uh, after month, and at least in terms of the schedules that airlines are putting out, we're not going to see that. I keep refreshing the TSA throughput numbers. That's become a, a favorite metric here because it's something you can kind of look at in real time. I want to see if yesterday, Sunday, set a new COVID-era record. Uh, the previous Sunday was the new record. Now, the story here is that you saw that chart that Phil showed. Uh, you know, The improvement is very much flattened out. There was a period a couple of months ago where demand seemed to be rebounding rather quickly and where, where there was this possibility, at least, that, you know, maybe things wouldn't be so bad. I, I mean, once all of the once the new wave of covid started, that very clearly was uh, out of the picture. But let's see if at least yesterday was a little bit better uh, than than a Sunday earlier in terms of the improvement compared to the comparable Sunday a year earlier. Yeah. Seth, we appreciate it. Thank you. That's Seth Kaplan. Likewise. Stay joining safe. us this morning. Joe, you can open anything you want. If, if people aren't willing to 
to go out and spend money, it, it doesn't really matter. And in the case of the airlines, I don't know if it's a vaccine or bust in terms of getting people to really fully feel comfortable traveling again and then what the business climate is going to be. I know. We did the big drive, Scott, and, and I, we're going to do another one. And I, I, thought about the pl- I thought about the plane and um, I'm ready to do the drive again, you know, like 12, 13 hours straight. It's kind of fun, uh, like for the first hour, um, but... Um, yeah. Bring everything along. You're in your you're in your little sterile tube. I, the, the plane doesn't sound great right now, you know. So I, I mean that is the problem. Yeah. Next on Squawk Pod, Baltimore's former mayor on the community's hardest hit by the COVID nineteen crisis. When government, when business, everyone comes together with one accord and takes a look at the resources that we have as a community and work with intention to create some pathways for our young people. I think that the sky is the limit. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely positively FedEx. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. This is Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan. The COVID pandemic has hit some communities harder than others, exacerbating disparities in economic and health uh, outcomes across the country. Research from the Hamilton Project at Brookings revealed that COVID-19 is the third leading cause of death for black Americans and that a disproportionate health impact has some serious economic consequences. Uh, joining us now to discuss the research, former uh, mayor of Baltimore and a panelist at the ha- Hamilton Project uh, Forum on the pandemic's impact on the black on black economic security, Stephanie Rawlings Blake, and um, former mayor. Can I still call you uh, call you mayor? Is that is that the uh, conventional way to do things, or, or is Stephanie better? Either one. I, I answer to both. And when you come from a big family, you answer to just about anything. So, yeah, the answer to uh, yeah, when when uh, when dinner's served, obviously. All right, Stephanie, thanks. There is the problem and then there's uh, some solutions. And we've talked about this quite a bit and, and the disproportionate effect that the pandemic has had on, on minority uh, communities. Can you just outline what what the uh, the biggest uh, problems are in in, uh, in in terms of why it's happening there and what are the best ways you think uh, for society to address this? I think this pandemic has laid bare what uh, many in uh, the health circles and government circles have known that there there's gross disparities in health. There's a health disparity. When, when I was mayor, we did a very comprehensive um, life expectancy uh, health health assessment for the entire city and the life expectancy from one zip code to the next was as far as 20 years difference in life expectancy. And that is astonishing. So when you you think about all of the 
um, the people, the, the minority, the blacks, people of color, uh, people who are vulnerable economically are working on the front lines. Um, those are the same people that are having the health challenges. So uh, the health disparities is a big issue and the income, uh, the income inequality is also uh, impacted minority families um, disproportionately. I mean, food insecurity, it seems like that would be one of the first things that, 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 that we should. It doesn't seem obviously, it, it, you know, it's going to take funds. It's going to take resources. But it seems simple that, that that's what we need to take care of uh, first in, in a situation like this. One of the big detriments or obstacles to good health that we found was the food deserts. I was uh, probably the first mayor to, to hire a food czar uh, that really worked on food policy. And we saw that about 20, 25 percent of the um, children in our city were living in food deserts. Uh, and that is a big problem. And we also know that um, many families depend on schools. Uh, for their for their children's meals. Uh, that's why we had such a robust uh, program for meals during the summer. So there's so many challenges. The 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 social safety net for so many families um, is uh, very uh, is is becoming very weak because of this pandemic. And that's why it is important for us to to get a handle of, on it. And that's why I'm excited. This is a convention week, uh, and I'm excited to to see. Uh, what Vice President Biden and uh, Senator Harris have in store because they understand how important it is to um, take real responsibility for this pandemic so we can get our economy back on track and make sure our citizens are safe and healthy. You know, Stephanie, minority businesses are, are more affected as well, more severely affected by the pandemic. It, studies have shown that that seems like a long term fix that, that we're looking for there, whether it's I don't know, more seed capital, uh, easier access to loans, uh, banks that, that, uh, that, that might be more um, and more open to, to funding minority owned businesses. Is, is that part of, it, of your thinking as well? Absolutely. And you've really outlined all of the, well, many of the obstacles that uh, minority businesses face. Um, many uh, face difficulties uh, dealing with traditional banks. Uh, many don't have the the resources that um, that others, you know, that the majority of companies have access to wealth outside of, you know, what most people have is just their home or credit cards. Um, so you know, when you when you start from behind and you have something like the pandemic that has made every uh, business, well, just about every business uh, weaker, um, you really have a disproportionate impact on minority communities. I mean, we talk with the, the Harlem's Children's Zone a lot, uh, Stephanie, on, on this show, and it, it all comes down really to, I mean, it's going to take a lot. It's going to take a, a, a cradle-to-job approach in a lot of neighborhoods, which includes education, after school, uh, child care, all these different things. And, and it just, watching it all uh, during the COVID crisis just, just makes it more front and center for what needs to be done even after the crisis uh, is over. Are you familiar with the work being being done there? And it, it, are you? Is Absolutely. that something that can be? It, can that be done in Detroit, in Oakland? Can it be done in, in, at scale in a lot of different cities? I definitely believe it can be done at scale. A lot of uh, cities and counties around the country have taken a look at that model and 
um, taken various parts of it to try to create a continuum of development for um, our, you know, our, our young people to prepare them for life. Um, and I definitely think that it is something that, that we should look at. I think when, when government, when business, when uh, communities, when civic organization, voluntary organizations, everyone comes together with one accord and takes a look at the resources that we have as a community and, and work with intention to create um, some pathways for our young people. I think that the, the sky is the limit, uh, but we have to get on the same page and we have to engage the people that we serve in a meaningful way. Very good. Uh, thank, we appreciate your time today, uh, this morning, Marin. We hope to, to see you again, update us on, uh, on, on progress being made. It's, it's something we, uh, we're interested in and, and, and try to get involved with quite a bit uh, recently, and we'll have you back and, and like to see you again. What thank you. Up to. Thank you. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Thanks to Scott Wapner for sitting in today. On TV, tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.